You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week. We hope it is upon us. Week one of the NFL season, my goodness, where did the summer go? And thank God it did. The Bucks and the Cowboys will kick it off in the opener and uh, just cannot wait. So we'll be talking about that game. Uh, we'll preview Brown's Chiefs. And also regarding subscription, just want to thank everybody that listens every week that has subscribed. We did make a move. If For those of you that haven't listened before, we have made a move from one network to another. We're now with Malka Media. When you hit subscription, now we had some technical issues, but it looks like all the outlets that have our podcast are listed there, so you can subscribe with any number of them, whether it's iHeart, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever you want, it's there. So again, we, we appreciate you. We thank you very much. So uh, let's kick off the show with some Rams talk. So here he is, YouTuber, CEO of DTR, Downtown Rams, co-host of the AJ Show Live, Jake Ellen Bogan. Welcome to the program, man. How you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. Awesome. Your boys, they're the Rams. They've been the darlings of the offseason. Everybody's picking them to go places. The hype is at an all-time high. At this point, it's Super Bowl or bust. A couple of questions about the new quarterback. First off, how's Stafford fit in? Great question. I mean, you know, I think Stafford fits into the puzzle that was the Sean McVay offense going back to 2017 and 18. Jared Goff, while he had the two really good seasons, he fell off. After you know, Big Fangio and you know, Bill Belichick really put out that blueprint on how to stop the Rams' offense, I think you saw Sean McVay adapt in adapt-or-die type of setting, whereas I don't feel like Goff was able to join him, especially when John Wolford came in last year in relief of our 17th week of the year. I feel like that kind of the glass shattered and Sean McVay realized he didn't have his guy anymore. That guy was not going to join him. He was not going to be able to get to the level he needed him to get to. That's why they went out and they got a Matthew Stafford. But you're getting somebody that is very cerebral, somebody that can work off script, and somebody that can also stick to the script and you know run it better than uh, Goff did. The biggest issue here for the Rams is that they were entirely predictable in a sense that no defense expected them to take a shot because they didn't trust uh, Jerry Goff. You look at Sean McVay's play calling last year, and a lot of it was very inconsistent, and it made him look bad. But I think he was also severely limited to what he could do because of you know Jared Goff and his limitations. I just don't think he has gone back to that time where you know you look at the 54-51 game against Kansas City and how he had no issue throwing that deep ball to Gerald Everett down the sideline to basically ice the game, whereas now – you know, he really didn't even want to take those shots that were open uh, downfield. It's one of the reasons the Rams traded Brandon Cooks away because he was just a, you know, $15 million paperweight, so to speak. You have, you know, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, and, you know, they're leading the league over the last two years in yards after the catch, and rightfully so. 
but a lot of that came down in the dinking and dunking of Jared Goff. And now, you know, no matter where you are on the field, whether it's, you know, first and 10, first and five, third and 30, you know, they can't put eight, nine, 10 guys in the box anymore because Matthew Stafford will make you pay all over the field. And so it's created this idea for defenses that they there's really no way to defeat the Rams. You're just going to have to play your best football, play disciplined football. And if they're going to try, you know, with all sorts of zones and stuff, it may have worked with golf to kind of, you know, confuse him, but it's not going to work with a quarterback like Matthew Stafford who plays like he's an AI computer system. Well, sticking with Stafford, I mean, it seems like Coach McVay has just been giddy. I mean, ever since they got him, a little bit different spring in his step. Whenever the, the quarterback's name comes up, you, ju- you just see him just like his whole mood just kind of amps up even higher than he's normally amped up. What have you noticed this offseason about him? Maybe some examples where you've kind of seen that kind of play out. Well, you know, I think Sean McVay, he's somebody that always takes responsibility, will always call himself out before he is called out. But I think he honestly got tired of it. You know, it's one thing to take responsibility when it's your fault. But you could see so many times last year in the pressers and things like that, that he was just clearly trying to keep Jared Goff out of the public eye and try to, and in a good way, you know, and, and trying to keep him away from, you know, the criticism. And, you know, after the Dolphins game, they lost by 11 points uh, to a team where their quarterback was held by the Rams defense under a hundred yards total. And that's to a tackle by Loa. I think that was really hard for, you know, Sean McVay to come out there and say, no, we never thought about making a switch. Uh, You know, Jared's our quarterback, all that. I think it became really hard after that game because it was just starting, like I mentioned earlier, the glass shattered. Like, Sean McVay realized, you know, the facade is, it's over. Going from that to now you're in a situation where you got to pick your quarterback, you love the quarterback you have, when Sean McVay comes out and says he's made me a better coach and they haven't even played a regular season game, that tells me all I need to know. He was never going to say that about golf because golf wouldn't have made him better. Matthew Stafford has these rare experiences. You're dealing with a quarterback that has played in the same organization his whole career, has been through the good, the bad, and the total ugly. And I think because of that, especially playing for a guy like Jim Caldwell, I think that's definitely helped Sean McVay. And Sean McVay said over and over again, they want to, you know, cater to his strengths and they want to really adapt the same type of verbiage from that Jim Caldwell era offense. They want to adapt that with what, you know, what he's calling. It's been a, a match made in heaven. I think this marriage will last. You know, I think Sean McVay's giddy for every reason in the book because, you know, now he's got the new, you know, hot topic in LA. But furthermore, this guy, you know, can put his money where his mouth is. How bad was the relationship between uh, Sean McVay and Jared Goff? And and where did it all go wrong? It's weird because I never thought it was that bad. I had, you know, suspicions it was bad. But then Lindsay Siri of ESPN uh, comes up with this, you know, two-sided article, which, you know, one side bringing, you know, Jared Goff's side of the story and then the other was Sean McVay just great investigative journalism. Sean McVay was calling him out, you know, in the locker room and things like that. You know, it sounds like it went very sour this past year. And rightfully so. I think you start having the more internal conversations to, 
you know, whether it be Snead or Demoff or even Kroenke, I think Sean was just telling these guys, look, Jared is not he's not joining me here. Otherwise, we're not going to win a Super Bowl with this quarterback. He's not our guy. And furthermore, you know, I'm not going to say that he was holding the 2019 Super Bowl against Goff, but I wouldn't be surprised because Jared Goff's last great game was against the Kansas City Chiefs in the 54-51 outing. Since then, he really has not been anywhere near that level. He has a lot of toughness, so to speak, and he doesn't miss a lot of games. But I think mentally he got rattled because the Super Bowl, again, just rough to lose in the Super Bowl that early in your career. And then just all of a sudden things that were working, like you know, simple things in 2017 and 18, are no longer working at all. And so it starts to you know, have you question reality in a sense. Is this, is this my new normal? You know, to me, I think a lot of that, just everything combined, put a lot of pressure on McVay. We saw McVay get into it, uh, you know, with Coach Bones, the special teams coordinator, after he called, you know, a fake and it, it didn't work out in 2019. I heard, you know, Sean McVay and Wade Phillips didn't get along at the end of that road. There's a lot of pressure on a young coach, and I think maybe it got to him a little bit, and that's probably why that relationship soured the way it did. Goff was made the scapegoat. Do you think Sean McVay gets a free pass in this situation? Yes and no, because I do think Jared Goff was that limited to the point where Sean McVay was calling probably 25% of the plays that he wanted to. But at the same time, Sean McVay's play calling was pretty bad, you know, at times. Sean McVay's biggest weakness is red zone efficiency. I do think there is some blame to be had for Sean McVay. How big of a loss was Cam Akers? Obviously, he's lost for the season. With Cam Akers, anytime you lose your uh, your go-to back that you draft in the second round, it's a bummer. But the good thing is that the Rams do have Daryl Henderson, a third-round pick they traded up to get the year prior. And I think they were really wanting to use them in tandem, which is why you know they went out and got Sony Michelle, keep Daryl Henderson healthy. The Rams saw... Sony Michelle is a similar player to Cam Makers. So I have Henderson having, you know, 20 plus touches uh, a game, whereas I feel like Sony Michelle will have 8 to 12. So Cam Makers is a big loss, but it is not a loss that will cripple them, like some in the mainstream media will say. I still have them at the same win or loss record I had them before the injury. You hate it for a young player that was. Definitely looking like a dominant player in, you know, the end when we saw him last in, you know, the playoffs. Who do you think was the best free agent signing this offseason for this team? And let's leave Matthew Stafford out of this conversation. I'd probably say Deshaun Jackson. Default, you're getting a guy that, you know, is one of the best deep threats over the last decade. When you look at the statistics, it's just incredible. He's had years where he's had over 20 uh, yards per catch, but... You know, this is somebody that's adding an element to the offense that they didn't have last year. Before I add on to that, I really do believe Van Jefferson, uh, the second-year man out of Florida, second-round pick, I really do believe he can be a deep threat. But Deshaun Jackson's a proven deep threat. He has familiarity with Sean McVay's system going back to Washington. And this is somebody that Matthew Staff trusts, obviously. They have made some serious connections in uh, training camp and joint practices where he gets behind a defense and he just creates a ton of separation. 
Deshaun Jackson, if he stays healthy, you're going to have to, you know, match up to that speed. And not everyone can. Yeah, I think staying healthy for Deshaun Jackson is going to be a huge problem. He hasn't been able to do that for the last four or five years. You know, the Rams, we know how good their defense was last year, but they lost quite a bit in free agency on that side. John Johnson, Troy Hill, Michael Brockers. Do you think that the defense as as a whole will just take a step back? Part of me thinks they aren't going to be as good as, say, like, you know, fantasy football fans think. Like, they're going in the eighth round in some leagues. I don't think they're going to be the best defense in the league. But if they are, I won't be surprised. You know, a big thing that Raheem Morris, the new defensive coordinator, said is that basically – he doesn't want to come in here and install a whole new defense. He wants to basically use a lot of the same concepts and verbiage that they used during the Brandon Staley defense last year. That's what made him number one. Raheem Morris is going to add his wrinkles to the defense. He's had a lot of experience around the league, both on the offense and defensive side of the ball, which I do think helps. I don't think that losing John Johnson and Troy Hill um, necessarily – cripple the defense i think troy hill is actually a little bit more valuable than john johnson like if i could have either one of them back right now uh with the current state of the roster troy hill would be a godsend as the third corner because john johnson's been replaced by you know six safeties here that you know are really good the rams probably have the best safety room they've they've had in a long time maybe ever uh you look at jordan fuller who became a you know a second year captain really emerged last season you know Terrell Burgess is healthy and he's ready to go can play nickel as well you have Taylor Rapp who's had success and could have arguably been up there for defensive rookie of the year in 2019 then you have Nick Scott who you know was initially drafted to be a special teamer and you know he looks great J.R. Reed is another guy like he was a special teamer but you know he also looked great on defense during the preseason and Juju Hughes the guy they liked a lot as well so they're pretty much bringing back everybody. You know, Leonard Floyd has done such a nice job at stopping the run. It has been huge for the Rams. Uh, then, you know, of course, last year there's a lot of, you know, uncertainty who's going to start opposite of Floyd. Justin Hollins emerged, you know, midseason. Uh, that's a guy that they basically claimed off of waivers at the start of week one. And so this year, you know, with a full off season, you know, under his belt, Hollins, you know, comes in as the starter. So I'm expecting him to take a leap. You have Sean Robinson, who you lost the majority of the season last year due to a health condition. He's also hired a nutritionist. He is in great shape, probably the shape of his life, and he's set to start next to Aaron Donald and Sebastian Joseph Day, the emerging nose tackle. Then you look at the linebackers, and they may not be household names uh, for the NFL, but for Rams fans, you know these guys, they're very good. Uh, they all have their own role. Uh, there's going to be a lot of rotating. Yeah, Troy Reader, a guy that can really blitz. He's, you know, improved in coverage. UDFA out of Delaware. Uh, then you have Kenny Young, a guy that they got in the throwaway uh, you know, deal for uh, Marcus Peters over in Baltimore. You know, and he's a little bit more athletic and, you know, can also play in coverage. And then, uh, you know, wrapping that up, you have the third-round pick, you know, Ernest Jones, who has a lot of fans really excited, has the Rams really excited. So you have the linebackers there, you have Jalen Ramsey, and then you have Darius Williams at corner. I mentioned the safeties. I think Raheem Morris is going to at least retain a top 10 status of a defense. But anything more, you know, will be icing on the cake because I think the offense is going to be so explosive that 
they don't necessarily need to have a number one defense to succeed. Yeah, I think we're agreed. They're going to be very good on defense uh, one way or the other. Uh, so let's stick on the offensive side of the ball. And I guess the one group we haven't talked about too much is the offensive line. They've been very good for several years. There's some changes. There's some age. Give us like two reasons why Rams fans should be confident with this offensive line. It's funny. It's like a lot of Rams fans don't like the offensive line, but they've fallen into the trap of thinking that the offensive line is bad because Jared Goff was horrible in the pocket. And the reason I say that is because it's not to bag on Goff, but it's well known that he struggles in stepping up in the pocket, making those subtle adjustments in the pocket, manipulating the pocket, just having the awareness. So it really makes the offense look bad when he's holding on the ball as long as he is. He's not buying himself time. You have four of the five starters returning. That's all. That's a huge thing uh, to have that continuity. Gelling of an offensive line is one of the most important things during an NFL season. And I always say you're at an advantage if you get to return all five of your starters because that normally doesn't happen. But this year they're trying the Brian Allen experiment again. Uh, 2019, you know, was his first year starting. They drafted him in 2018, fourth-round pick, did not like the pick at all, did not feel like he was bulked up enough, and didn't think he just carried the weight necessarily. 2019, he gets hurt. 2020, he suffers an injury and also deals with COVID. So they basically, you know, put him on the shelf. And then 2021, apparently he showed up at, you know, camp, and they were really blown away by how he looked and, you know, how big he was and the confidence that they had in him. And while they – you know, kicked off at the beginning of training camp, with, you know, thinking it was going to be Corbett at center, Austin Corbett, last year's guard. They decided to roll with Brian Allen. I don't hate the move because Brian Allen, to me, is somebody you invested a fourth rounder in. Like, he needs to be a starter. Otherwise, that pick was a bust. Did lose Austin Blake to Kansas City, who was your center last year. So if Allen comes out, and you know, guns blazing, plays well, you know, against Eddie Goldman and, uh, you know, Akeem Hicks, on uh, Sunday Night Football and then goes in week two and plays well against DeForest Buckner, we'll know pretty quickly, you know, that this guy's the real deal. But if he doesn't, I would expect Corbett to kick in there. Four out of the five starters is the first reason why you should be optimistic. And number two, well, if Brian Allen struggles, you have a fail-safe option there uh, with Corbett. So there's one guy we really haven't mentioned much, but Les Snead. Seems to go all in every year, which is great from my perspective, but they've only been to one Super Bowl. You mentioned he missed on the Goff contract, Gurley contract, Cooks. You know, there's all these things that he's done that really haven't panned out completely, and it's been a lot of money. How long a leash does he have with Kroenke, and can it get longer? Honestly, I think McVay's success keeps Les Snead going. I think Les Snead's job is very secure. I also will say that Tony Pastors really handles all the signings, so it's not entirely Les's job there. It's kind of weird the way the Rams do it. But as far as you know, going out and making moves for Stafford and making moves, you know, for Sony Michelle and and making the move for Jalen Ramsey, things like that that have really sculpted the roster. I don't love the way he trades because he does this thing like where he'll trade, but he'll give up picks to get a, a higher pick i'd rather just get the extra picks but that's just me that's my biggest knock on him but you know all in all i think he's been a pretty good gm i think he's one of the best in the league you know let's see definitely at some point 
would be on the hot seat if, say, they missed the playoffs this year or what have you. But I think it's all tied to Sean McVay's success. And I think Sean McVay is the top three coach in football where I don't think we'll ever get to that point where we see it. I don't think it's going to be anything where, you know, he's on the hot seat. I think it would be just a probably a mutual decision where he decides to go to a different team or something like that. All right. No question. There's many stars on this team, both sides of the ball. Give us maybe one unsung guy that we should really follow this season that because he's going to make an impact on the team. Well, there's a few guys that pop in my mind. I mean, I'd say Daryl Henderson. There's a lot of people see that are getting into this idea that Sony Michelle is going to be the starter and they are discounting Daryl Henderson and they're using injuries uh, as if he's this most, the most injury prone running back ever. He's only missed four games. I really think you go back, you look at Memphis and what they've done with running backs, him, Tony Pollard, Antonio Gibson, you're starting to see that success for a reason. Anthony Jones Jr. came on my show. Uh, he's the running back coach that basically the, the guy that's running the running back factory at Memphis. And I think there's a reason why they're seeing all that success. They've, they've had some great experience. Henderson averaged over eight yards per carry in college. He averaged around 4.4 yards per carry last season. You're looking at, you know, eight, nine guys in the box. Now he's running against these lighter boxes. Defenses are going to sell out to stop Matthew Stafford and be okay with giving up some yardage in the run game. You pair that with his ability in open space, you know, his uh, toughness. This is somebody that's not afraid to initiate contact, despite what many people might think. And then on the defensive side, I would say watch out for potentially Justin Hollins and Terrell Burgess. Burgess is coming off a broken ankle last year in the Bears game. And uh, Justin Hollins finally settling in, you know, his second year with the Rams. First year, he kind of just got thrown into the fire and made things happen. His second year, he came in prepared as the starter. So really excited to see him. He's got an incredible athletic profile with the East West Shrine game MVP. He just went to an organization that, you know, as much as I like what the Broncos are doing, you know, they had Chubb, they had Bob Miller, you know, they have Malik Reed. There's some guys there, and, and he just didn't really have a role. So when they tried to move him to inside linebacker, I think it just wasn't, you know, conducive to his growth and success, especially, you know, with the fact they have Alexander Johnson, they have Josie Jewell. They have a lot of guys at that linebacker spot, and I just feel like really they liked him, and they tried to force him onto the 53, and it just wasn't to be. Now he's got a legit opportunity with the Rams, and I'm excited for him. I think he's somebody that, you know, could really blow up this season, you know, depending on how comfortable he gets. And the thing that I love the most about Hollins is something got better as a pass rusher, so to speak. It's he got better in everything. He's a better run defender now, and he got really good in coverage. And I think that's really what's going to keep him on the field uh, for the foreseeable future. Now let's focus on rookies. Uh, do you expect any uh, rookies to have a huge role in 2021? You know, Ernest Jones probably will have the biggest role. Uh, Bobby Brown is going to be more of a rotational defensive lineman. He's for the future, 21 years old. Jacob Harris could have a huge role in the, the red zone. Really, I'm not expecting anybody to be like a go-to starter if it's not Ernest Jones. Chris Garrett's a very interesting rookie. If there was an injury to Justin Hollins because there's already – uh, you know, Obanai Okoronk was already on the IR short term. 
Chris Garrett has an opportunity to really make his presence felt and kind of take over that spot in the rotation. If he were to come out strong and say Justin Hollins went down, with Okoronkwo on the IR, he would actually be your starter. Garrett could have a significant role as a seventh-round pick. Definitely a name that I'm looking out for. I see that you have an all-L.A. Super Bowl, okay? Chargers, Rams, the game's in L.A. Some might think maybe you're pimping for the Chamber of Commerce there. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> was that a serious pick? How did you come up with that? How do you see the the playoffs shaking out? I mean, just the, just real quick. Yeah, great question. So it was a serious pick. I've been on it since uh, the Chargers hired uh, Brandon Staley. I've only gotten more confident in it since the Chargers made you know, the decision to go out and draft Rayshon Slater, sign Corey Lindsley, who's maybe the best center in football. The reason behind it is, one, I saw Brandon Staley as a rookie defensive coordinator take the Rams to a height that they didn't even go to with Wade Phillips. We always thought they would. They never did. So to be the number one defense with, honestly, not going to lie, there were some pieces that they kind of threw together. They had lost their, you know, star linebacker and Corey Littleton. And they basically were just dealing with a bunch of UDFAs and late-round picks and kind of mixing and matching to see what would stick. I just mentioned Justin Hollins. I mean, that's the guy he brought over. They weren't really sure if he was going to be a rotational guy or what. He ends up being a starter for them. It just kind of showed me his adaptability and, you know, somebody that can really make the most of any situation. So Brandon Staley, to me, is a big key. The fact that they hired him was genius. This is a team that ripped off four straight wins to end the season last year. This is a team that dealt with some injuries. If Austin Eckler played the whole season, that team would have been a lot different. You know, they were using all sorts of running backs. And then they lost Derwin James, who is going to be absolutely vital for their defense this season. They lost him for the year last year. I look at the Chargers, and I just think, to me, this is a team that has a defensive blueprint already set up for Brandon Staley to succeed. He's got his quote-unquote Jalen Ramsey in Derwin James, a guy that can really do it all in the secondary. They added a guy that's extremely versatile and is extremely intelligent in Asante Samuel in the draft that is going to bolster that, you know, of course, that secondary. Uh, Then you have Kenneth Murray, a former first-round pick out of Oklahoma, who I really like. And obviously, I think Brandon Staley really likes because he continues to rave about him. Bosa is not Aaron Donald, but he's the closest thing to it that they have. And so he's going to be vital. So I just think all around, they have so many pieces on that defense. You already have the franchise quarterback in Justin Herbert. You have maybe the best route runner in football when it comes to Keenan Allen. And Austin Eckler is back. You have an offensive line that was improved like the Rayshon Slater pick. He's going to shore up that left tackle spot. Like I said, they brought in Lindsley. The only gripe I have with the Chargers is that they didn't bring back Hunter Henry or they didn't sign a Johnny Smith or they didn't draft a tight end. I am probably the least Jared Cook fan on the planet, so maybe it's just my bias there. Like, that's my biggest concern, so to speak. I just think the Chargers are being slept on. They're a team that we should see coming, and a lot of the analysts just don't. Justin Herbert in year two, he's going to take that next step, and I think the defense is also going to take that next step with him. I have them winning 13 games, so they go 13-4. and four. I have them just missing out on the division. So I have them playing the Chiefs in the AFC title game. And then the Rams, I have the Rams playing uh, Tampa 
in the AFC title game. The Rams play the Bucks in their home uh, week three. I have the Rams winning that game and taking over as the number one seed uh, in the NFC and holding on to that. I think Green Bay could also be in this conversation, but it's, to me it's a three-team race in the NFC until otherwise proven. The Rams have already beaten Tampa Bay with Jared Goff. They went to Tampa Bay last year, beat Tampa Bay with Jared Goff. You know, this year they'll have Stafford, they'll have all the guys, and I just feel really confident in the Rams this year. But you got the Rams winning the whole thing then? Yeah, I have the Rams beating the Chargers 33-24, to I believe, was the score I had. Well, put a ticket down in Vegas, gang. Remember, you heard (laughs) it here first. Uh, Jake, we really appreciate you taking all the time, all the insight. Before we get out of here, if you want to uh, plug your uh, handles on the socials and anything else you want to plug. Yeah, no, guys, I really do appreciate you having me. It's been a lot of fun talking with you guys. Um, You can find me at JK Bogan on uh, Twitter. You can find uh, Downtown Rams at Downtown Rams, the AJ Show at at the AJ Show Live. My uh, YouTube channel, which is Jake Allen Bogan, it's just my name. You know, my YouTube channel is 75% Rams and 25% everything else. So if you're into the 25% everything else, you know, not just the Rams, also cover the MCU. I, I cover you know, horror movies, I do movie reviews, and I game a little bit on there. So just kind of a mixed bag. Would appreciate you if you subscribed or, you know, whatever, if you're interested in that type of thing. There you go, gang. It's all L.A. Thanks again, Jake. All right. So, Alex, what's up, man? Matthew Stafford has a lot to prove, Luke, <laughs> this year. I'm just saying that. Obviously, Jared Goff has won playoff games. He led this team to the Super Bowl. Stafford hasn't won, but he was on a bad Lions team. This year, we're going to find out who the real Matthew Stafford is, and he's going to be out of excuses if he doesn't deliver. Well, if you hear, listen to Peter King, the guy's going to throw for 6,000 yards. He's going to win MVP. The Rams are going to win the Super Bowl, and everything is really peachy keen in L.A. Wow. They're in the toughest division in the NFL. He could be great, and they could still lose like seven or eight games. So let's pump the brakes a little bit on the Rams. Great. I I hope they're successful for McVay's sake and Stafford. I like Stafford. I think he's going to do well, but I I think people are going a little overboard here. So Zach Martin's out. One COVID issue, and we're going to see this as as the season goes along. I don't know if it's going to change their game plan. Obviously, Dak is come off his pitch count and he's ready to go. So let's see. I mean, there's going to be some rust there. You know, is Zeke going to make it back to being Zeke? Hard to say. I'm fearful for the Cowboys in this first game just because of all these factors, the changes on defense, everything else. The Bucks are bringing everybody back. So, of course, the Cowboys are going to win, right? The Bucks are going to win. I mean, it's it's pretty <laughs> obvious, Lou. I mean, they, they bring 22 starters back. And even though they're dealing with some injuries, I mean, Chris Godwin is questionable. Antonio Brown is also, you know, on the injured list. I assume that these guys are going to play when it's all said and done. But they still have Tom Brady under center. They still have a very good defense. I think a lot of people forget that. I mean, the Bucks were number one in the NFL in run defense last year. And what they did to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, I'm sorry to say it, but it's true. I mean, they played those three safeties back and had a lot of success. Look, Dak Prescott is going to do his best, but the Bucks just have too many weapons on offense, and I think they're going to contain them on defense. I think it's going to be a fun game. I think the Cowboys are going to fall behind, and, and Dak is going to try to 
pull them out. I think they're going to pass a lot. I think Dak is going to get a lot of the chances just because I think the Bucks are going to stop Ezekiel Elliott on the ground. And uh, Dak is, is going to throw 40, 50 times that game. But the Bucks are going to come away with this. I, I just think the Cowboys are, are not ready for it in week one. They might have a puncher's chance. And the only reason I say that is because it is the opening game after Super Bowl victory. I know Tampa is planning some, I don't want to say a big ceremony, but they're asking their fans to be in their seats by 8 o'clock. So you're giving like a 20-minute window. I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but there's some surprise planned. I don't know if that really factors in. You got Brady there pretty much telling everybody that this is a brand new team. We haven't done anything yet. Bruce Arians is saying the same thing. But human nature could kick in. And maybe they start off a little bit slow in the game. And that might give the Cowboys an opportunity. I think Dan Quinn is going to be a big improvement here and maybe not so much Dan Quinn himself but the scheme itself being simpler and just letting his players play chase down the ball I don't know that they're they're not going to be a great defense right off the bat I don't know that they're going to be an even above average defense when it's all said and done but they are going to be more sound if you would not a lot of thinking having to be done just go see the ball go run hit the ball tackle the guy so again, really keeping it simple. So it's up to the players now to make those plays. And, you know, they've added some guy. I mean, obviously, Micah Parsons is going to be a huge part of this playing uh, linebacker. And he's going to be coming off the edge. He's going to be back in coverage. I think he's to Dallas, perhaps what Devin White is to Tampa Bay. Let's see how he does. He hasn't played a game yet, but I think that it might be a little bit closer than you think. Tampa's got everybody back. I mean, sure, they they should crush them, but it's hard to kind of recreate that momentum they had from the playoffs because really up until the last few games of the year, they were kind of struggling. Then they kind of caught fire as the end of the season and playoffs went on. And obviously it culminated in the Super Bowl. I don't know if they could have played much better. Eh, Seven and a half points. I don't know. We're talking about a win or a loss. We're not talking about the spread. Like, I, I could care less about the points. I mean, we'll it get doesn't to the, matter. It does. Well, I... It matters to gamblers. <laughs> win or loss matters to, to the Bucks or the Cowboys. I mean, you can win by a point for a light care. Uh, look at you making a case for the Cowboys. You didn't even pick them to win the division. You picked Washington in the in our NFL preview. I should be no, but this is an individual. It's a it's a single game. Every game is different. Every game is an opportunity. I think they have again a puncher's chance just because of the circumstances. Uh, Zach Martin being out is a huge blow, so that might kind of dampen my uh, exuberance here, but. I don't know. I mean, I think let's see what the number does. I think seven and a half. The last I looked, it may go up a little bit. Vitavea is going to dominate the the trenches with Zach Martin being out. He's just gonna he's gonna meet Zeke. I think every time in the backfield, and I don't think the Cowboys are going to get going when it comes to to that running game and. The rust is going to be there in the defense. It's week one. I'm buying the fact that Cowboys defense is going to be better this year, and I think they will get rolling, but not in week one against Tampa. And I heard Dan Orlovsky make a case on ESPN that the Bucks have a chance to go 17-0. and What do you think about that? Certainly. There's always a chance, but the likelihood of that happening is very minimal just because, I mean, it's, it's so rare. I mean, obviously... Uh, the Miami Dolphins back in the day won 14 in a row and then went through, and I think they ended up 17-0. and 
after the playoffs because they only played 14 back then. Uh, the Patriots with Randy Moss, what, 18-1 and because they lost in the Super Bowl. Just to carry that out, to, for, uh, to be healthy that, that long. I mean, you saw you know, kind of the struggles that they had last year losing some games. I don't think anybody in this day and age of the NFL can go undefeated. So I'm going to say, no, I'm not buying that. They have a lot of depth at a lot of positions, slow. I mean, if Leonard Fournette goes down, they've got Ronald Jones, so all that firepower at, at wide receiver. They've got a good offensive line. That defense, I mean, I mean, it dominated last year, especially in the in the latter part of the year, like in the final couple of weeks and in, in the playoffs. I think it's all about momentum, about carrying that momentum. It's, it's all about adjusting. I mean, Tom Brady feels more comfortable with Bruce Arians' scheme in his second year. I mean, I'd actually put a bet on it, like a hundred bucks in Vegas. I'd, I'd go for it, Lou. I don't know what the odds are. I'm sure the odds are pretty long. <laughs> I'm so. sure it would be really good, you know. But they may be the lowest. I mean, if they if they have that kind of thing, like you know, the the Bucks, the Chiefs, the Bills. Uh, I don't know who else might you put on the Green Bay. You know, there's probably a handful of teams that they would post odds on that for. Otherwise, you know, it'd be ridiculous. Nobody's gonna put bets down on, on teams like Detroit and, and the, the lower half, but it might be worth it. Yeah. I mean, it, that would be one team that you would say, sure, hundred bucks. Let me just see what happens here. Browns versus chiefs. I got to go there. Obviously that's the big game on Sunday. The Browns are the hot choice to, to make some things happen this year. The chiefs are trying to recover from that super bowl loss. I know where you're going to go with this, but are you worried? about this game i would say they probably have overall pretty close to the best roster in the nfl talking about the browns but where the chiefs i think are ahead of them would be obviously at quarterback and that's the most important position they did make a lot of changes to the offensive line five new guys as good as they all are or as good as they've looked you don't know what's going to happen right i mean it's the first time you know real bullets uh, you've got a rookie making the, the signal calls and center and Creed Humphrey. That probably concerns me a little bit, but I think just oh, the overall talent of the group is so much better than it was last year. If it doesn't come right away, that's going to come as we go on and probably, and I'm talking about maybe even within this game. So the first half, things may not look uh, so smooth, but I think by the second half, not that they'll be like a perfectly well-oiled machine, the offensive line, but I think they'll get things straightened out. I mean, I would say as worried, yeah, I mean, this is one of the best teams in the AFC. I mean, like we talked about in previous shows, the Bills, the Browns, the Ravens, the Chargers, you got some good teams, so that this would be it. It takes some time to gel on that offensive line. You know you need cohesion. Oh, sure. And, and basically you have two rookies, and then you have a right tackle who is basically a rookie. He didn't play last he year. He is, did not play so last year. So that's three out. three rookies. That's tough. I mean, to go up against Jadavian Clowney and Miles Garrett, that's a tough task. You know they're going to be coming after Patrick Mahomes. He might look like the Super Bowl all over again. As good as they've looked in preseason, as you like to say, Lou, 
That's the summer league. It's the summer league. Doesn't mean a damn thing. And yeah, but Reed seems to play. I mean, he's one of the old school coaches that believes that his guys should play. And the first teamers did get a lot of playing time. And that was one of the main reasons, I think, was a brand new offensive line. But again, I think you may be surprised at how the Chiefs play. I mean, obviously that game uh, against Tampa last year, they learned a lot. And they reacted to it immediately. And some different things that you're going to see this year, I think you're going to see them run the ball a little bit more. You know, if they're playing those three safeties in the back light box, they're going to run it more. You may see 14 personnel. Yes, 14. Four tight ends on the field at once. And you've got three of them are going to be pretty dynamic receivers in Kelsey, Jody Fortson, Noah Gray, and, uh, well, Blake Bell's more of a blocker. But, you know, it's going to be a little bit just I mean, defensively. It's it's going to create a lot of matchup problems. So I don't know that they're going to unveil that right away. But if you look at Andy Reid, usually they always talk about Andy Reid coming off a bye. Well, how about in September? How about just his regular season record in Kansas City is 91-37. and 37. In September, he's 22-5. and five. Since 2013, 22 and five, including the last 13 in a row. So typically, I think the defense might be a little bit on their heels, regardless of who the offensive line is, because they're going to come out in stuff that they haven't seen yet, unscouted looks. So, yeah, I hear you, Garrett Clowney. Sure, you should be worried, but I temper that a little bit because I think the Browns are going to take some time to probably get used to the way the Chiefs play. That defense stinks. I mean, you can defend it all you want. The Browns want to run the football. That's the only way they have a shot in this game, and they're going to run it. Run it, run it, run it. That's the only way they can win because the Chiefs can, you know, strike in any minute. I mean, Patrick Mahomes can throw an 80-yard bomb to Tyreek Hill, and that's it. They're up 7-0. It's not what the Browns do. They're more methodical on offense. They want to, you know, run the football set up Baker Mayfield off of play action and it's going to be a lot of Nick Chubb it's going to be a lot of Kareem Hunt I don't think they're going to surprise anyone here the Chiefs defense stinks they can't stop the run you'll see this I mean the Browns offensive line is really good they're going to get a push you could say that you know they signed Jaron Reed they moved Chris Jones to defensive end and you know they've got a better defensive line still think the Browns are just going to control that them on the line of scrimmage they're gonna move them you know they're gonna control the clock out there i'm picking the browns against the chiefs here and another variable that we've got to look at you know the curse that exists on the super bowl loser Lou. every year we see it teams coming off a super bowl loss struggle still think the chiefs are gonna win this division and they're probably gonna avoid this curse a bit but I think it's going to haunt them here in week one against the Browns. I would beg to differ. I mean, the Chiefs don't have a top 10 defense, but I would kind of maybe back off a little bit about the, the defense stinks because the record speaks for themselves. They, they, win, they win games. They win a lot of games. So Not because of their defense, Lou. Offense carries the day for the Chiefs. It, it happened last year, happened two years ago when the, obviously they got hot in the playoffs. It's going to happen again this year. I don't see this defense rising up to the occasion. They're still going to be in the bottom half 
as far as defensive rank. At the end of the day, I would just say they're good enough to win games. And I think, I don't have the exact number, but I want to say just outside the top 10 in overall defense last year. Scoring defense was, was right there too. So, so again, I'm not, I'm not going to go that far. I know they're not a, a great unit, but you know they've got great players. They've got Chris Jones. They've got Tyron Matthew. The linebackers, a lot more speed with Willie Gay. He's going to be out the first few games, but you'll see Bolton step in there and he'll play with Hitchens and the others. Legereus Sneed at corner was a you know, a revelation last year, and he can play inside or outside. So, I mean, they've, they've got players, playmakers on that team. Frank Clark, not that consistent, but he will make big plays at times. So, again, I don't think they have to be great. Yes, the Browns are going to run the ball because that's what they do. Bottom line, I don't think they're going to be able to keep up with them scoring-wise. The defense, not only are they going to be improved, but they will be in the, in the upper half, maybe even a top 10 defense this year. Okay, so our final segment of the day, we bring it back, the pick segment. That's right. Here we go. I know Alex has a lock of the week. We'll do that last. Here we go. First, I've been talking about this, I think, since the lines came out or since the the schedule came out. But Carolina, minus four and a half against the Jets at Carolina. This just is screaming at me, which, again, always makes me nervous because it just looks too obvious. And maybe that number goes up and makes me a little bit more uh, comfortable with it. But I'm going to go with Carolina here over the Jets. Zach Wilson is going to be rushed. He's going to be rattled. Sam Darnold is going to be like the exact opposite. Robbie Anderson, a double revenge game here against the Jets. Take Carolina. Second one, my love affair with the Washington football team will continue. They are plus one at home over the L.A. Chargers. Take the football team here. They're getting points. They've got a great defense. You've got, again, the West Coast team going east, playing in the early 1 o'clock window. Never a good thing. Washington football team here. You notice a trend, home teams. Cincinnati is at home, getting three from Minnesota. This is not last year's Minnesota team. This isn't two years ago. This isn't three years ago. This team is certainly on the decline. They keep losing good defensive players. Their offense... Seems to be now again. Dalvin Cook hasn't played much or at all in in the preseason, so it remains to be seen what happens here. Kirk Cousins, I don't know. Cincinnati looks like going to be the doormat of the AFC North. I'm saying no. Take Cincinnati plus the three over Minnesota. And my final pick, I'm going to go against one of my set rules. I never pick preseason games involving the Chiefs. But I'm going to this week. And I think Alex has inspired me for this. Everybody's talking up the Browns, how they've got this great team. And they're on the come. But as Juju says, Browns is the Browns. And oh, by the way, Alex, Kansas City's team defense was 11th last year. Not in the AFC, in the NFL. So they don't stink. Kansas City, minus six. Take it to the bank. Alex, you're up. Take the Browns, guys, especially with those points. I mean, there's no question about it. The Browns are going to win the Super Bowl this year. This this isn't 
the old Browns. And, and by the way, Mel Kuyper also has the Browns in the Super Bowl. He picked them. He's got the Packers winning. So the, the two draft gurus going after the Browns. Okay. We're on the same page out here. All right, Lou. Lock of the week. I'm going against your trend of picking the home team because we've got fans and and crowds, and that's going to make a difference, and we're going to go back to normal, not like last year. Forget all of that. The Jaguars, minus three at the Texans. The Texans are the worst football team. They're going to go 0-17, like in my opinion, with Tyrod Taylor or David Mills or whoever they're going to you know, put out at the quarterback out there. They've already named Tyrod Taylor the, the starting quarterback for this game. It's not going to be pretty. I'm not saying that, you know, the Jaguars are going to, like, completely, like, run away with it. It's not going to be a 41-3 to game. But they'll certainly cover those three points. I think they'll cover by a touchdown. I think Trevor Lawrence has a good game. And Urban Meyer gets his win in opening week. So take the Jaguars over the Texans. That's the pick for the lock of the week. You heard it here first, gang. The Jags as a road favorite with the rookie quarterback. Alex loves to go out on those limbs. All right, gang. Week one. We're so excited. Again, thank you for listening. Please subscribe at any one of the buttons available to you, any source that you go to listen to your podcast to. For Alex, I'm Lou. Until next week. Peace.